James Meenan, you are a businessman, you live in Sandymount, and you have set up a Sandymount Matero project, which is linked to the Matero Parish in Zambia, which is a Jesuit parish where they do really interesting work with orphans and people who are in need. Mm. So I want to talk to you today about that. I want to talk to you, first of all, about the project and then about the work that you're doing and what we can do to help. Mm. So tell me about Matero, first of all, the parish and what the Jesuits are doing there. Uh, Matero is an extremely disadvantaged parish in Lusaka in Zambia itself a very very poor country but Matero even within that zone of disadvantage it uh, it is nearer the bottom than the top the project is geared towards orphans and vulnerable children uh, as you can imagine in a country like Zambia there are multiple challenges for everybody um, but the children in particular we have chosen to support a community school, as they call it, which is equivalent to our national school in St. Mary's uh, Mother of Redeemer Parish, uh, which is run by the Jesuits in, in Lusaka. The school is located within, within the parish compound. But the challenges for children are orphanhood, abject poverty, poor standard of housing, poor to non-existent sanitation, Illness, AIDS has been rampant in in Matero over the years. Um, And then obviously as a consequence of that, very, very low life expectancy. And hunger as well, I think. Would that be right? That's the one I left out, (laughs) yes. Hunger is is just part of life there. Uh, And there's anecdotal stories about that, but they're, they're not worth getting into into just now. Well, they might be if you want to tell one, can you? Well, on one of my visits to Lusaka uh, and around Matero, I went to a walking tour around the parish, was brought to a house where there was a man called Amos, who was an older man. Um, He was skeletal in appearance. He was sitting on the porch uh, and he had tablets beside him on the ground. These were the antiretroviral tablets to treat his AIDS. Um, But he couldn't take them because they suspected he'd bronchitis and he couldn't afford the x-ray. So I was there talking with him and his family for a while and they were preparing the food which they were about to serve up as I was leaving. And you can buy these saucepans with handles, if I can call them that, and there's three in each set. Um, I can't put the the parameters together, I can't identify them. But if you can think of the typical kitchen set of saucepans and the largest one, there was about just over a half of that in Shima to feed, I'd say, six or seven people, which was a negligible portion. And that is not uncommon throughout a parish like Matero. That would be nothing, really. And that's like a handful of... It's maize-based, isn't it, the Shima? It's like a rice. It looks like rice, but... So it'd be a handful each. Oh, it would be maximum a handful each, but that appeared to be the main meal uh, of the day. And anecdotally, that sort of um, nourishment or nutrition is is, is not uncommon. And I know from... Father Leonard Chiti is your big contact in Matero and I was at a talk he gave not very long ago Mm. about the um, food situation Mm -hmm. in Zambia and he was mentioning that 
And in those circumstances, the children are the last to get fed. The men are fed first, then the women and the children are the very last. And you're dealing with that kind of hunger. Well, I can't get into, if you like, the internal family politics. You know, as far as provision of food is concerned, on my first trip to Lusaka, the immediate impact going out to uh, where we were building houses was the apparent lack of adults, males in particular. So how that impacts on, A, the ability to earn, to provide food, and B, the actual distribution within family units, I, I don't know, but it was striking, if you like, how under-resourced the community is in, in straightforward human terms. In fact, the number of adults, even female adults, was, was much, much lower than you would, you would think there. Um, I think I was, was about 51 when I went out there, um, and I hardly saw anybody older than me. So that's symptomatic of the health side of things. That obviously a knock-on effect on the availability of food. Being in, this, in, in, in a built-up area, their ability to grow food is limited. And obviously the economic situation means their ability to earn, to buy food in stores or whatever they might have out there is obviously uh, obviously extremely limited. So it's a pretty dire situation. So tell me about your project then and how you yeah. got involved in helping. Well, I was in school in Gonzaga and from the early noughties, uh, the fifth years in Gonzaga, a group of 20 from that class used to go out for the Easter holidays and build houses, Habitat for Humanity, the charity. In 2008, it was decided that uh, there'd be kind of a grown-ups version of that trip and uh, past pupils, uh, teachers and parents would be invited to go. Now, I was a past pupil and a parent. Uh, and for various reasons, I decided I want to, to take up on, on this particular uh, trip. When I went fundraising, um, I was staggered how generous people could be. And I really thought that was largely because people could identify with the person going. And therefore, they would be able to have reassurance and get information about the project. But the fundraising went extremely well. And I just wondered about applying that sort of a principle elsewhere because the briefing lessons for the Habitat trip painted a very dire picture, to use your word, of, of life, uh, where we were going. So when I spoke with Father Peter Briscoe, who was parish priest of Sandyman at the time, in fact, before I went and said, how would you be for supporting something like this? And he said, well, talk about it when we come back. And when I came back, I spoke to a few other people in the parish who I knew to be givers on the voluntary side of things. And we put the genesis of it together and the suggestion came back to me that the best way to approach this was through the schools. At a meeting then, Peter Briscoe called down in the parish, uh, Sister Bridgette from the Franciscans in Guildford Road, who had spent time actually in Matero itself. The Franciscans have a compound Yes. literally <laughs> at the back wall of Matero, of St. Mary's uh, and the Jesuit parish there. And she was talking about the situation in Zambia being dire. And she said, the only solution to this is education, education, education. So we kind of clicked onto the school in St. Mary's there. At the time, the school was um, over to the side of the compound. It was like old outhouses, a row of old outhouses that weren't properly equipped as far as insulation was concerned, windows, doors, none of that. There were kind of concrete blocks or maybe concrete 
stools or benches in there where the children sat on. Uh, at the time, there was about 130 people, 130 children in the school, and it was very much come day, go day. They would come some days and not the others. We started off by feeding 70 of the 130 children, and it was made very clear to us that if education was to be the main thrust of trying to provide a solution, albeit long-term, you had first and foremost to get the kids to come to school. And feeding was a big incentive for the kids to come to school, obviously, particularly if they're not getting much at home or it's not being distributed fairly or whatever it is. But also for kids to learn, they needed to be nourished. They couldn't, they couldn't learn on empty stomachs. So we kind of concentrated on that for, for years. When we, so you sorry, would raise the money? When we raised the money, we made a point of asking for people to contribute small amounts monthly. And maybe we can come back to that because that is absolutely critical. And we got to speak at various weekends over a few years down in Sandy Mount Parish. But the original launch was asking people for small amounts monthly that they could sustain and afford long term. Because obviously if it's a feeding program and an education program, you just got to keep it going. You can't keep feeding children for you know the first two terms and not, not thereafter. And that initial launch or that initial appeal was very, very successful and has, in fact, been the backbone of the project since uh, we started, which is now 10 years. How many people signed up, James? Uh, At the outset, about 120. So it gave us a good, solid base. But more crucially, the fact that there was monthly subscriptions meant that you could plan and you could be reassured about making commitments, albeit on a best efforts basis, mm. but the people in Matero themselves could also plan themselves. So soon after that, the sorry, the teachers at the time were volunteers and the women who actually made the meals were, were volunteers uh, as well. Now, about two years into the, into the programme, Jesuits built in the far corner of the compound semi-permanent accommodation for the school which was a fantastic step because the school essentially was dysfunctional with volunteer teachers and while it was a random place I mean we think of schools in this part of the world as places where there's structure, rigour, discipline, organisation, routine, uh, you know a certainty of curricula and uh, there's a lot of predictability about it uh, the way the school was down there there was little to none of that. So the fact that there was good accommodation meant this was a big step up and the school population grew to a few hundred, maybe 250 uh, with that. But we then undertook, we were comfortable uh, using this core foundation of monthly subscriptions that we could feed the entire school population of 250. Every day. Every day, every school day. And then we paid for the salary of the principal and two other teachers, but there were other volunteer teachers there. We started providing school books and school equipment, again, to further give sort of structure and, and gravitas to the, the school as an educational institution. We paid for the people to cook. And then we have uh, provided scholarships for 20 pupils to go to secondary school. And was this all based just on the money that people were giving on a monthly basis? Yeah. Or no, you did fundraisers as well. You had one very recently. Mm-hmm. And it was a brilliant idea, I thought, because I'm in Sandymount Parish and you are twinned with the Matero Parish. Mm-hmm. And that was you asked people to bring in all their small change. Yeah. 
Well, I've done that the last few years. And again, uh, at the outset, we wanted this to be sustainable, doable, not a one-off thing. It's a feeding program. It's an education program. So there's no time limit on it. So all our fundraising, uh, there's two things about our fundraising. One is you want to cause minimal disruption, uh, minimal inconvenience, minimal commitment in a self-serving way, um, if, if only to ensure continuity of the of the, the money that was being committed. Uh, the second thing we've done is all the money we raise in conventional ways is goes towards the project. If there's any external, or sorry, any add-on costs, we will go and seek separate sponsors for it. So people are being asked on a once-off basis, typically very generous parishioners who will stump up larger sums of money to sponsor larger costs. There are two features of the fundraising. And how much did you get just on the small change? Because I was fascinated by that. As somebody who has it royal lang all over the house, doing mm. nothing, and was saying, this is great, collect all this wow. five cents and ten cents. I mean, it was a lot of work to count. How much did you make? About 4,000. That's enough to feed a lot of children, oh, isn't it? Oh, it's incredible. And uh, we've been doing that for a few years, again, say, again, on the basis that this is low-key, it's not invasive, it's not putting people... No, and in fact, you're doing them a favour because nobody really cares about five and ten cents lying around the place. <laughs> the event itself, I mean, it was very gratifying standing outside the church. People came back with substantial amounts of small change, but very often there was a big note thrown in there as well, and people would just come up and hand a note to you as well and it was very gratifying it generated a lot of goodwill there so that's one of the, the things we've done we've, we've done that in a few years we've had other fundraisers the um, the gospel choir in Sandyman Parish they had a concert and they gave us the, the profits from that and other people have organised different projects in the schools whatever so it's really two parishes working together it is two parishes working together and sometimes I'm very grateful to our donors because a feeding programme, it's the same thing year after year after year and the news is not very exciting, you know, paying for teachers the same, school equipment the same. But uh, I think it's great because surely, James, you've been at this a while, so some of those kids now will have moved up into secondary school and at some stage they could be coming back to teach in that school. That is a big part of it down there. I mean, you feed, everybody says feeding is important, but the, the side benefit of that is people turn up to school. You pay for teachers because if they're not getting paid, they just wander off and leave their classes because they have to forage for food for, for their families. You know, s school books help support local industry as well. And with the scholarship programme, we are quite confident of what you're just saying there, that the kids who grow up will come back and give a year or two and teach kids whatever, probably on a voluntary basis, but on a certainly on an economic basis. So, James, this to me is a great project because it it's simple, it's pared back, the money goes exactly to where it's meant to go, overheads are paid for by other donors. People um, know that if they make a commitment that they are genuinely making a serious difference to the mm. lives of young kids who are can't go to school because they're too hungry or they have to go and look for food mm. and the school is ramshackle. That has been really looked after mm. and you need now and you're asking for other people from around the country or forever listening to this if they would consider taking out a monthly donation be it 5 euro, 10 euro a month but 
as a long enough term commitment, or at least over a year, a couple of years? Yeah, I mean, five euro will feed a child for a month that doesn't bear thinking about. You will push up school meals for a, ch- a child for a month for five euro. That's what we're talking about. That's how little it takes. Five euro in Sandy Mount will get you two two cups of coffee on one of the things and maybe not a bun. It'll get you three copies of the Irish Times. And I just think how facile a commitment is now. I know a lot of people are asking for small amounts of money. And I think it's a great way for charities to raise money. And I think I'd appeal to people to be a little bit more tolerant. They'd give a few bob and maybe and and be done with it. But, you know, there's there's method in the madness asking for, for continuous funds. Our challenge now is, as the school has grown, we started feeding 70 kids. The school is now over 550 kids. How many years later is that, James? Uh, Since, well, we're involved 10 years now. That's that's an amazing increase. mm, So, you know, what Sister Bridgette said, education, 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 that project, this is firmly underway in Matero. And, yeah. We're not the only people to contribute. Obviously, the Jesuits have built the school, but I think we have done an awful lot. The community in Sandy Mount has done a huge amount to make the viability of this educational establishment um, secure and the prospects for it uh, much more secure. And the desperation I always felt these children would feel, there's no way out of it. Now, most of these children probably will continue to struggle, but there is conceivably now a way out of it. But... It's been a successful project. The people of Sandymount have played a huge role in that and the people of Matero are very grateful for that. But <laughs> we have now decided we want to do everything in our power to stick to our original commitment to feed the school children. So we need to raise more money and the various ways of going about it. We need more people to help either to sit on a committee or to take a pre-agreed, defined, limited, easily deliverable role in various ways. Um, We need to raise awareness of what's going on. I think people like the story, but to bring it one step further, to get people to actually commit. And if we can get people to commit to small monthly payments, then it becomes easier for everybody. And then maybe the goodwill and the ingenuity of the community here can make a bigger impact down there if we can secure the feeding and the teachers, etc. But if we can get it to that level and that provides a basis or a template for further constructive ideas. uh, So for people listening today who might want to help, mm -hmm. what do they do? Please go on to our website, sandymatero.com. You can read about the project and can they you, can, sign up. You, you can sign up on the dotted line there on the website. And just, I mean, a fiver a month, you cannot comprehend how far that goes. OK, somebody getting reasonable nourishment for a month, that's big in itself. But how they can be included in an entity that has some means of offering opportunity down the line. I mean, that's that's huge for somebody who lives in an absolutely dire situation. Imagine giving them that prospect for a five or a month and letting them get across a threshold of participation, learning, progress, uh, and hopefully then all that that can lead to for themselves and pay back to the community. 
Wish you all the very best with it and um, maybe we'll be catch up with you in maybe six months or so to see how That'd this be great. is working. Yeah, okay.